teaser video, kind of let you know what direction we're going with that. Um, I'm really excited about it, and I hope you are too. It's going to be, it's going to be good. I hope their part's going to be good. We'll see if I can tag team with it to make it good. Um, I invite you to grab your Bibles if you would and turn to the Old Testament book of Lamentations. Lamentations, uh, page five hundred. Uh, I don't know, 84, I think, somewhere close to that in your blue Bible, if you're turning uh, in, in the blue Bible, Lamentations. Uh, we're gonna, we'll be there in a few minutes. Um, as you're turning there, there, there are some things that have been um, heavy on my heart and in my mind over the past several months, and, and I want to spend just a few minutes kind of talking about those this morning as, as we address this topic of hope. Um, you know, we've experienced loss and, and we've experienced joy um, there's been times where we can experience uh, life and, and renewed family relationships. Um, personally, we've, we've had some fresh starts and some new beginnings. Uh, we've had opportunities to allow dreams to die and new dreams to take their place. And it's all the shaping and molding um, who we are individually and who we are uh, as families and who we are as a church community and family as well. Um, on a more global scale, it's this summer, especially, I've become more keenly aware of maybe things that are going on uh, around us and around the world and, and have really, really paid more attention to that, uh, that, that just kind of how it affects uh, people's lives in general. Things like what's going on with ISIS and the relationship between Israel and Palestine, uh, killings and shootings, the continuing unfolding situation that we read about and hear about in, in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, the war in Syria, the things going on in Baghdad, people taking their own lives. There's fear and anxiety and depression and isolation and loneliness and despair. And when I look around at the world, I wonder, is it really getting any better? I mean, is it? It doesn't seem to be. In fact, honestly, it seems like things are getting worse, a lot worse. Anybody agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. There are those out there that would say that it's always been this way. It's just with media coverage and the thirst for sensationalism and dramatic news and things that we hear about it more often. And that, may, and that, and that they're really what they're doing is they're blowing it out of proportion to get ratings and things really aren't as bad as they appear. And in some respects, they may be right. They may be completely accurate with that. But regardless, now that we are aware, what do we do about it? What's the answer? What's the solution? What's our course of action? As I've been wrestling with these thoughts and these doubts and these uncertainties, I kept coming back to one word. Hope. Hope. And in my conversations with people about what's happening in their lives and what's happening around the world, it just seems like there was this feeling that there's this lack of hope. There's just not a lot of hope. After all, how do you find hope in a situation where women and children are being taken captive and forced into the sex trade? How do you find hope when children are being beheaded? How do you find hope when unarmed people are being shot? How do you find hope when people are rioting and looting and killing? How do you find hope when people are hungry? Where is hope when treatable and even preventable diseases are resulting in death? Where is hope when planes go missing, when refugees have nowhere to go, when mass graves are discovered, governments are corrupt, and people are suffering? Where is the hope when the diagnosis is cancer? Where is the hope when the ER, ER doctor comes out to you and says, I'm sorry, and your loved one's gone? Where's the hope when you're let go from your job? Where's the hope when you relapse 
again. Where's the hope when your spouse says, I want a divorce? Where's the hope when you have a miscarriage or you just can't get pregnant? Where's the hope when a loved one takes their own life? Where's the hope when you don't get the job again? When the bills on the counter are greater than the amount in the account? Where is the hope? There's an old Arab parable that says, All sunshine and no rain makes a desert. The idea of that is if you never have any down times, dark times, or or gloomy times in your life, then you'll be all dried up. You'll have no depth to yourself. You'll have no maturity. It takes good times and it takes bad times to mature a person. Life is a mixture of pain and pleasure, of victory and defeat, of success and failure, of mountaintops and valleys. And in a world so apparently defined by tragedy and loss and a failure of things, I wonder, do words like faith, hope, and love, the big three that we're talking about, do they ring true? Are they realistic? Are they possible? Or do they just sound like a religious word and this religious ritual or denial in the face of overwhelming odds that there's really no evidence of anything to believe in, nothing to look forward to, and nothing that can be done? It's been said The greatest devastation for any culture is not that it will be forgotten, but that it will become forgetful. And I wonder how many of us are aimlessly walking through life with a sense of amnesia. We've become so self-focused that we've forgotten the Scripture. We've forgotten what God has to say about life. We've forgotten that He tells us that there will be valleys of life. He also shares with us stories through His Word. Have we forgotten That people have gone through the valley before us and they have come through? Have we forgotten to have hope? And so this morning, in an attempt to share a little hope with you, with me, for all of us, I want to look at the valleys of life and think about five things that I think it would be helpful for us to remember as we experience the valleys of life, as we go through these difficult times. I'm going to invite you to grab your bulletins to write these down as we walk through these uh, together this morning. The first one is this. Valleys are inevitable. They're inevitable. They're going to happen. You can count on it. Death, taxes, valleys, and life, right? It's going to happen. I would guess that you have either just come out of a valley and you can look back and see it, or you're in one right now. And if those aren't true, then I'm just a little fair warning. One's probably coming, right? Just kind of the way life works. Valleys happen throughout life. It's hard to maintain that mountaintop experience. For every mountaintop, there is a valley. It's just kind of the way it works. Jesus was very realistic about this in John chapter 16. He says, in this world you will have trouble. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's going to happen. You're going to have difficulty and disappointment and discouragement in life. There'll be times of suffering and sorrow and sickness. There'll be times of frustration, failure, fatigue. They're going to happen. So don't be surprised when they come because it's just a normal part of life. First one is they're inevitable. Second one, they're also unpredictable. Very unpredictable. You can't plan them. You can't schedule them. Valleys are always unexpected and they usually come when? At the worst possible time, right? They never come at a convenient time. Oh, that's great, right? For instance, is it ever a convenient time to have a flat tire? 
No, it's never a convenient time to have a flat tire, is it? It just is always one of those things that happens. It happens, it happens at the worst times. It would be great if we could schedule them in our life, if we could plan them, but it just doesn't work like that. It's not like that orange juice commercial that was on like a year ago where a person sat down with their orange juice and everybody tells them what they're going to happen today, right? Okay, glad I had more orange juice today, huh? right? It doesn't work that way. We don't know what's coming down the pike, but it happens. Another thing that I found to be true about valleys is how easily they happen. Have you ever noticed how easily that valley, you just kind of fall, and you're in it? It happens so quickly. A phone call, a letter, an email, a routine doctor's checkup, a freak accident. Valleys, they they just happen. Jeremiah 4.20 says, Disaster follows disaster. The whole land lies in ruins. In an instant, my tents are destroyed. My shelter in a moment. Unpredictable. It just happens. Another thing about valleys is they are impartial. They're impartial. No one is immune to them. No one is insulated from pain and sorrow. No one gets to skate through life problem-free. Even though you're looking down the aisle or across the room and you think, man, their life is just golden. They've got their own valleys. No one gets through this. Everyone has problems, good people, bad people, problems, trials, difficulties, disturbances, downtimes, depressions. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means that you're a person, okay? The the Bible is very clear that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. It's just, it's impartial. It just happens. They don't care who you are. Everybody encouraged this morning? Everybody happy? Everybody feeling really hopeful? I kind of tried to lead you into that valley to hopefully give you some good news. Now for a little bit uh, of hope, okay? Valleys, the things in life, number four, they're temporary. They're temporary. And that's good news, right? That they're temporary. They have an end to them. They don't last. It's not a permanent uh, location. David says, and I know I'm taking this out of context a little bit. I realize that. Even though I walk through the valley... Right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? He's going through it. It's not something you stay in your entire life. You don't live there. It's something you go through. The circumstance, the situation, it has a season to it. The valley that you are in is not a dead end. It doesn't come into your life to stay. They come to pass. They, they don't last forever. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs and all kinds of trials. He admits that sometimes you're going to go through tough times. It's going to be rough because life is tough, and that's going to happen to you, but it's only for a little while. They are temporary. Now, as I was writing this and reading about this, and I got to this point in it, and I believe that that's true, I kept asking myself this question. Yeah, but how long? Right? And that's what you're thinking? If they're temporary, okay, great. But how long is the temporary time that we're in? It's easy to say that they're only temporary, but what if you've been in one of those seasons for a, a long period of time? Because when you are in it, when you've been in that valley for two, five, seven, ten years or, or more, it's tough, isn't it? And it seems like you're never going to get out of that valley. You just seem like that's your lot in life. And it just seems to be that you just feel like giving up, right? I know people who have given up. And I know people who feel like giving up sometimes. 
but they're temporary. In 1952, Florence May Chadwick, who had already become the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions, attempted to swim the 26 miles between the Catalina Island and the California coastline. As she began, she was flanked by small boats on either side of her that were prepared to pull her out of the water if she grew tired. And after about 15 hours of swimming, okay, let that sink in for just a second. After 15 hours of swimming, this thick fog set in and she began to doubt her ability. She told her mother, who was in one of the boats uh, alongside her, that she didn't think she could make it. And so then she swam for another hour. Okay, she swam for another hour and she asked to be pulled out of the water into the boat because she couldn't see the coastline because of the fog. And as she sat in the boat, she realized that she had stopped swimming just one mile from her destination. And she said, this: if I would have known I was that close. I would have kept on going. I don't know when your valley is going to end. I don't. But it will. I wish I could tell you. I wish I could just, you know, hey, it's going to be okay. Just one more day. One more week. I don't know. But valleys are temporary. I just want you to to know that. Lastly, fifthly. Valleys are purposeful. They, they have a purpose. God has a reason for taking you through the valley. I believe that. But I don't understand that. So when we get done here today, if somebody can help me understand that a little better, I'll, I'll take it, right? We can have that conversation. Because if it were up to me, especially in my life, man, I'd find another way. Wouldn't you? The valleys in your life, if there was another way, you'd probably want a different way too. I have no doubt that God can use the doubt and depression and despair and discouragement and defeat. I have no doubt that God can use financial valleys or relationship valleys or emotional valleys and all kinds of different things to accomplish great things in our life. But honestly, I really wish he wouldn't. (laughs) I wish he'd find another way. Or do I? And, and see, this is where I really struggle back and forth. Because in my conversations with some of you, you struggle with it too. We wrestle with it. There are things that I have been through and things that you have been through. And the truth of the matter is, you've told me this. That you would not trade what you've gone through for anything because somehow it got you to where you are today. But man, we don't enjoy the valleys when we're going through them, do we? It's not always the case for everyone. I get that. You don't always look back and go, oh, thank you so much, right? But what I've found to be true is while we can enjoy those mountaintop experiences, the reality is our faith oftentimes seems to grow when we're in the valley. When everything is going great, we kind of get this self-reliance and this self-sufficiency and we're just like, hey, everything is okay and we really lessen our need for God. But But when we come face to face with the dark valley in life, it drives you to your knees. And oftentimes faith is strengthened in the valley. When you don't feel like serving God, when you don't feel like trusting God, when you don't feel like praising God, that's when your faith has the greatest opportunity to grow. 
It's not usually on the mountaintops. It's usually in the valleys where God really does business with you. And yet, here's the hard part. In the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the valley, if someone comes up to me and says, well, you know, all things work together for good for them that love the Lord. You know what I want to do? I want to deck them, right? Because that's not really what we want to hear. And yet, I struggle because I do believe that as we go through the valley of life, it, it has a purpose. Maybe God is refining me or teaching me or stretching me or molding me or maturing me or something. Something Michelle and I started praying a long time ago is this. In the midst of the struggle, God, help me to learn what I'm supposed to learn and grow where I'm supposed to grow. Because I don't want to go through this again. <laughs> That's just being honest with God. I don't want to have to go through this. I want to learn it now. Because it's painful now. So help me. I believe that the book of Lamentations kind of gives us some insight here. And I invite you to, to grab your Bibles and, and look at Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 18. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 18 it says this, My splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. That's encouraging, isn't it? I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. I look back on my life, I look at everything that's happening, and I am down. The book of Lamentations is often credited to Jeremiah, and so I'm going to credit it to him this morning. And it really seems like Jeremiah is going through a valley. Where's his hope? If the book of Lamentations ended in verse 20, we would at least be able to say that we're not alone in this, right? That as we're suffering, that this is nothing new. Even the prophet of God felt this way. And I don't know about you, but I appreciate the honesty of the scriptures when they really tell God exactly what they think about him and about what's going on. But the encouraging news, the words of hope are found in beginning in verse 21. Look at what the text says. It says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Can we stop right there for a second? Wait. You guys have heard me say this before. When it comes to waiting on God, I would have a lot more patience if he would hurry up. Do you like to wait? I don't know many people that like to wait. We want what we want and we want it now. We don't like to wait. But if you look back, it says, the Lord is my portion, therefore. And when we see a therefore, what do we do? We ask, what's it, what's it there for? He says, the Lord is my portion, therefore. What are we to do? Wait. And I would challenge me as I challenge you, if we're not willing to wait, then we have to ask ourselves the question if we really believe that the Lord is our portion. Is the Lord sufficient for us? Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who hope in Him. To the one who seeks Him. It is good to, what's that word? Wait, man. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. He is struggling through 
his trial. But you know what? He has hope. He has hope. And I want to be clear as to what hope is. In our society and in our culture, I think sometimes we kind of misunderstand what hope really is. When the Bible is talking about hope, it's not talking about optimism, okay? Now, don't get me wrong. The world needs optimists. They tend to live longer than pessimists and accomplish more, and generally they're more fun to be around. A pessimist can hardly wait for the future so they can look back and, and look back with regrets. An optimist can hardly wait for the future because they believe that the future is going to be better than today. A, a student was seen pedaling his bicycle around a college campus, and he was wearing this t-shirt that read, Studying to be a doctor. And on his bike that he was riding, on the back, he'd placed a sign that said, Studying to be a Mercedes. Now, that's optimism, right? Optimism, optimistic people handle failure. They handle frustrations better than pessimists. And for all the similarities, though, hope and optimism are completely different animals. Optimists think they can or that others will. Those with hope, they know that God will. Optimists will survey the circumstances and find the positive. They see the glass half full. They see a flat tire and they say, yeah, but it's only flat on the bottom, right? Hope, on the other hand, it doesn't take into account the circumstances. When it comes to hope, the greater the pain, the more desperate the circumstance, the, tr- the stronger and the more confident their hope becomes. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. He says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Can we stop right there? Really? <laughs> really. We rejoice in our suffering. I don't know. That's hard, isn't it? To rejoice in our suffering. But look at what he says. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. You know another concept for perseverance? Wait. Waiting, perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Now, did you notice the reason that hope does not disappoint? You see it there in the text? We're going to bold it and highlight it for you so you see it. (laughs) Because of your ability. Because the situation changes. Because who? Because God. Because God. Which is exactly why I think Jeremiah was able to find hope in his dismal circumstance back in Lamentations chapter 3. He called to mind the great love of the Lord and he had hope. He had hope. Jeremiah's hope was not this, this optimism. In fact, Jeremiah, he was known as a pessimistic prophet. He was the most pessimistic prophet of all of Israel. He was called, he was known as, his nickname was the weeping prophet. Well, that's something to put on your car, right? But he had hope because of God. It's not about being optimistic. It's about God. Second thing that hope is not, it's it's not blind. It's not blind. It's not some shot in the dark blind faith. Instead, we can place our hope confidently in the Lord because of his faithfulness. Because of the faithfulness God has demonstrated in the past. Which is why our memories are so important to hope. Uh, By reaching into the past, we can find assurances to the future and we will not be destroyed in our present. 
That's how the Jews did it. They told the stories from generation to generation to generation about God's faithfulness and about God's promise. And this gave them hope. Psalm 136 is a great example of how this hope is maintained from remembering the past. This psalm is often called the great Hallel. It's what I was taught as I was growing up through church as what is a responsive reader reading where the leader would say one part and the the congregation would would respond. And and that's what I want us to do here today. It's going to be on the screen behind me and and we're going to go through this. And here's what I want you to see as we go through this. I want you to see and hear the story that they're telling of what God has done and who God is. So join in this with me. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Now you're going to have to just not say it. Let's say it. His love endures, I mean, mean it. Don't, okay? This is important. Imagine you're in the Jewish community and they're telling the story. They're going to be excited about this. They're remembering the faithfulness of God when they say, Who by his understanding made the heavens. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. The moon and the stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the desert. Who struck down the great kings. Who killed the mighty kings. Shihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. He gave their land as an inheritance. To the one who remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies, who gives food to every creature, give thanks to the God of heaven. They talked about the past. They talked about how God provided for them. He talked about how God is providing for them now. They looked back and they remembered how much His love carried them through. And that gave them hope for the future. They had hope because they overcame despair. They remembered what God had done. And they had hope because His love endures forever. In Romans 15.4, Paul tells us, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Anybody need a little hope today? Remember what Jesus said when He was with His disciples. He gave them the bread and He gave them the wine and He said, do this in remembrance of Me And that wasn't for Jesus, and it wasn't just for the disciples. That was for us so that we could look back and remember, look forward and have hope, and look at our present and know that He is with us. We get to remember 
And we get to have hope. And this morning, we're going to participate in remembering what Christ has done for us. The Jews, they would read through the Psalms and they would do that. One of the things that Jesus told us to do to remember and to give us hope is to participate in this celebratory, celebratory meal together this morning. And so we're going to do that. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everyone to take the bread and to take the juice and just to hold on to it for a moment so that we can partake in this together. The bread, which represents his body. Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat every one of you. And they took bread, which was common. Unleavened bread, which was common. This was a common meal for everyone. And they took the bread. In the same way, he took the, the juice, the fruit of the vine, and he, he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and drink every one of you. And Jesus told them, as you do this, and as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're going to do here this morning. So as you receive those elements this morning, take and hold on to them. And once everyone is served, we'll participate together. We're going to give you just a few moments of space just to to allow God to, to speak to you as you remember as you celebrate, and then we'll partake together. Let's take the bread, his body, and let's remember, let's celebrate his sacrifice. invite you to take the cup which represents his blood that he shed for us willingly to celebrate to remember as we partake together If I can offer you any hope at all this morning, it's not going to be in what we say and what we do. It's it's going to be because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it's only because of Him. It's why we celebrate. It's why we gather together. It's why we encourage one another. It's why we read His Word. Because of Him, we have hope. And not only do we have hope for our future, for our eternity, that we can seal with Him because of what He did for us on the cross, but we have hope for our present as well. That though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because He's with us, right? Isn't that the whole point of the psalm? He's with us. He's with you. Whether you're on the mountaintop, in the deepest, darkest valley, He is there. Scripture tells us there's one that sticks closer than a brother. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, God says. We're called to believe, to confess, to to be obedient in following Him. To walk with Him. To be His children. And I don't know if you've ever accepted what Jesus has done for you on the cross. If you've ever said, I want to be a child of His. We have the privilege of giving you that opportunity 
giving you the opportunity to respond to what God has done and what He is doing and what He will do. Because God is faithful. And in Him, we have hope. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. They're going to lead us in this time of response. And if you want to talk to someone, we invite you just to make your way over to this side of the auditorium toward the cross. We'll meet with you. We'll pray with you. We just want to encourage you. We want you to have hope because God is with you. What can man do to you? God is our hope. He is our refuge. He is our strength. We invite you to run to him today.